And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torrezani. Hello, hello, hello. This is such a special episode for me. I am here with my partner in uh, We Are Not Alone Crime, Francesca Reicheter. And I can't even tell you, I have the hardest time saying her last name. So it is very exciting for me that I was able to someone get it out and just blah, get it out. Anyways, Francesca Reicheter, I am so excited that you are here right now. This has been, I think, fate in the making that this this happened, that this came to fruition finally. I know. I used to listen to your podcast all the time. And when you went live that day and added me and I was like, oh my goodness, because I started my episode, like my series, because I loved yours so much. And I'd always wanted to be like Oprah and I watched yours and I was like, oh, I could do that with mental health too. That was so cool to me. So it was like, this is the coolest thing in the world for me well, to be on your podcast. Oh my gosh. Well, for those of you who don't know, um, Francesca and I met in kind of the most serendipitous, whatever magical way you possibly could even think. It was basically the universe, God, the aliens, whoever is in control, literally made this, this perfect cupcake happen um, with right ingredients. I'm using a lot of odd words right now, but we're going to go with it today because it's been a day. Um, but basically I went on Instagram live. I never really go on Instagram live, um, at this point when I was doing it and I saw someone's Instagram handle and it was said, inspiring my generation. And I had no idea what it was, but I got so, so excited because I thought, wow, this is exactly the kind of Instagram handle and the message that's just getting right across that, that I'm aligned with. Um, and so I, randomly accepted the the request to come in and it was Francesca's beautiful face and from that moment on we created this um beyond a work friendship a real friendship a bond um I think of her like my little sister a sister I've always wanted but never had um and we came together and we did some amazing things I'm going to speak about our sweatshirts that both of us are currently wearing at the moment a little bit later but I wanted to hear a little bit about you and I would love for everyone to hear kind of how did you start you know what what why was inspiring my generation, your mission's life work. What brought you to this moment where we're here having this conversation right now? So inspiring my generation originally started when I was 12 as a blog. I always knew I, I didn't realize you something. were that young. I was. I mean, I you're very young now, but I did not realize 12. That is just wild. Right. I read a book that like changed my life called The Greatness Zone by Jay Forty. And it was like finding what you're good at, what you like to do and what you'd want to do. And that's your greatness zone. And I was like, I like writing and I like helping people. I really want to make a difference. So this is what I'm going to do. And Inspiring My Generation launched as a blog. And I actually carried around a book of quotes that I made everywhere I went. Oh my gosh, like, that's fabulous. <laughs> and then during high school and like my junior year of High school, I think it was. I started it as a podcast, the Inspiring My Generation podcast. And then I just got too busy. So it turned back into a blog. And then in 2018, I lost my grandfather in a car accident and almost lost my grandmother. 
my grandfather was my best friend in the world. Oh, like, so was mine. I, right? Yeah. I FaceTimed him every single morning for coffee after my classes to tell him all about it. Oh. And um, for dinner every night, even if he was out to dinner with his friends, he would like make sure to FaceTime me and still show me what he was oh, doing. What an angel. So my best friend in the world. And I lost him in that car accident and I didn't know how to cope. I had been struggling with yeah. feelings of depression, anxiety for most of my life. And at that point, I was like, I don't know how to live without him. I don't want to live without him. Right, right. I came back from school like right before I was supposed to graduate with my bachelor's and like three weeks later and I came home from school. My teachers were very, very nice and ended up passing me and giving me the A's because my grades were so good to that point. And um, what great I got teachers. to stay like in the right. They were yeah. so sweet. And I slept in the hospital chair next to my grandmother for 10 days. Wow. And then I just didn't know how to grieve. I didn't know how to cope with any of it. I ended up attempting suicide on Christmas. And my uncle was the one who really helped me through it. I remember though, I ran into my aunt's room that day, like into her bathroom, crying into her arms. I was like, why didn't it work? Why right. am I still here? Right. And um, to grab to my uncle and he came and sat with me and we like laid in bed. I just watched The Wolf of Wall Street actually. And he then started talking to me about like mental health and the importance of treatment and therapy and medications, vitamins you could take. And he was the first person to have that conversation with me. And I thought it was so cool. I mean, I and think I that like, that's what's so special, right? Because you don't, mm -hmm. you, you don't have those connections, whether it's with family or friends or even strangers. It's so yeah hard to be able to find someone especially not only at the age that you're at now but when you were a little bit younger when when you know this situation had happened being able to find someone who's not just reminding you you know you're not alone in this I'm here for you but actually to walk you through step by step of things that you can do to help improve your own mental health your own spiritual well-being um just life in general so I I love I love that you share what your uncle you know says to you during this time because that's what's so yeah. significant about the whole story. So please keep going. It's it's such a beautiful story. Thank you. It was. And it was so amazing that he was the one to have that conversation with me. And he kind of became a lifeline at that point. But right. 27 days later, I lost him to suicide. Right. And I still hadn't coped with my grandfather. I didn't know how to cope with losing my uncle. I withdrew from my master's program, moved in with my aunt and little cousins, and just threw myself into helping them and being there for them. I spent all day taking care of my little cousins and all night taking care of my aunt. And I just never made time for myself to sleep, to grieve, to learn how to cope, to anything. And I ended up attempting two more times, hospitalized in a psych ward where I saw how many other people were struggling. I knew inspiring my generation was meant to be something that inspired people and helped people live their best lives and live life to the fullest by the age of 12, but I didn't know exactly what that meant yet. And when I was inside the psych ward and I saw how many people were struggling, how many people didn't have family to come visit them. We were allowed two visitors. I had 10 wow. and no one else had anyone. They were really annoyed with my family, <laughs> but no one else had visitors. So it wasn't like the room was full, but I felt so bad that no one else had visitors. No one else really seemed to have people that they were excited to go back to. A lot of people have been in and out of the same psych ward. I couldn't speak for a second. And um, they just felt hopeless and they knew they were going to end up back in there. So I made it a point to learn everyone's name and everyone's story. 
why they were there. And I said good morning, good night to every single person. When we had like group karaoke, I um had somebody duet with me. I'm the worst singer, so they should Stop not have it. let me okay, go. Okay, what times is your karaoke days. go-to song? It was Britney Spears. Oops, I did it. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. I love it. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love Britney. <laughs> me too. But Listen, free Britney. I, free Britney. I ended up grabbing other people too to be like my backup like dancers. Mm-hmm. So I had a group of everyone doing it with me and I just made sure everyone felt included. And that's kind of when I realized that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be someone that made everyone feel worthy, that made everyone feel good right. enough to be here, who was a voice for those who had lost their lives to suicide, but more importantly, a voice for those who were barely hanging on, who right. couldn't advocate for themselves. And I think so that that's what people don't, you know, or they don't realize, they don't understand that it's the littlest, tiniest string is what's holding you on, um, whether it be with... You know, in regards in your situation with with suicide, you know, and that attempt and all of that, or just in general with your mental health, we're holding on by a string. Um, And the significance of one little, how are you really? Good morning. Good evening. Um, Singing a karaoke song. It's these little things that really, truly are life changing. Um, Just to quickly go back, for those who... I know that listen and and have written in and you and I have hosted rooms before where we've talked about this on on certain apps and and you know we've done it on Instagram lives where we've talked about it. You know, in regards to your uncle's, you know, losing your uncle, was there something that you learned in that moment about your life, about his life, about that appreciation, some maybe a a little tip advice that you could give to somebody who may not be in the position that you were that had felt all of these feels of wanting to, you know, leave this world, right? Because there was, you couldn't keep going. But what to do if you're that person that's grieving that doesn't know how to deal with suicide and doesn't know how to deal with loss? So I would say that I didn't realize other people around me were struggling with it at just as much as I was. Right. I didn't realize that my uncle was struggling. I didn't realize that my mom and my brother and my grandma and everyone else were struggling just as much as I was. I wasn't alone in it. And I think that as terrible as it is to lose someone and as isolating as it feels, it's really important to stay around people and to celebrate the good, like the memories that you have with them and all the things you got to experience. I mean, I was the luckiest girl in the world. My grandfather was so amazing. I remember when I um, broke up with my first boyfriend, I was crying. He like grabbed me and he was like, let's go to the mall. He took me shopping. He was like, retail therapy. (laughs) (laughs) He was just always there and always doing everything, made sure I was the happiest person in the world. I saw a purse I wanted one time and I was just showing it to him. And he grabbed my grandmother and he's like, order it right now. Oh my gosh, what an angel. Right? He was just the most kind-hearted, amazing person. And when I lost him, I didn't realize that everyone else had lost that too. Right. I didn't realize that just because I felt my connection was the closest didn't mean that everyone else didn't feel that too. Right. Right. So grieving together and listening to each other's stories, because when I hear other people's stories with him, it always makes me so happy. And just doing it together. Don't try to do it alone because it's terrible. And don't hold it all in. I think that was one of the biggest mistakes I made was 
I remember my uncle actually got in my face and yelled at me and said, you cannot cry. You cannot fall apart because everyone's watching you. If you fall apart, everyone will. Wow. So I held it together at the funeral. I didn't anything until right at the end when they were about to close the casket. I was like, can I just be in the room by myself for a minute? And I just fell to the floor screaming and yeah. crying. And that was the only time I oh cried my God, I'm crying. at that point. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, Francesca, stop. You're making me cry. But you know, I, I love I love that advice and and knowing that it's okay to grieve with other people. You know, my grandpa, um, Stanley, was my best friend in the entire world. I was so close to he and my grandmother. I mean, just like we were just the three amigos. And he truly was someone that I would call every, without a doubt, I would call him every single day, multiple times a day with talking about guys that I was dating. Um, if I had a good audition, I would call him. I would make fun of him all the time in the best way possible. I remember that I was in Maxim Magazine and it was a really sexy photo shoot and I went to go visit him in this like little community he was in. It was so cute. And he had bought multiple copies of the Maxim Magazine and left them on the tables for dinner for all of his friends. and was like, yep, my granddaughter. And I was like, Stan, that's not appropriate. Like you can't put that out there, but he was so, but it didn't matter if it was like, like a ridiculous photo shoot like that, or they would do screenings of all of my TV shows and have everyone over. And I remember when, when my mom came over to tell me that, that he had passed, you know, it was super unexpected. You know, it was, he had, you know, uh, just a, a brain aneurysm or something, he just collapsed and that was it, right? It was the same sort of situation of a car accident where it was not, there was no leading up to being sick. He was in perfect health. So it was very strange to have this happen. And I remember being so angry at everyone around me because I was like, fuck you. You did not have this relationship that I did with him. No one understood how close, you know, I was with him. No one called him like I did. No one checked up. No one did any of these things. And I understood that, you know, I had family that was grieving around as well, just as much, but I was, I had such animosity and such anger towards them. I couldn't even go to his funeral because I was so, um, I, I'm like, I'm like crying now. I was like so emotional. You know what I mean? I couldn't, I could it was something that I couldn't acknowledge. You know, I was like, it's not real. I can't acknowledge it. And I remember getting in a fight with my cousin and, and you know, my cousin had texted me something and was like, oh, wow, you seem to be like really busy or I don't know, some shitty remark back to me. And I lost it. And I didn't talk to my cousin for years because I was just like, people grieve in their own ways, right? We deal with loss in our own ways. It's important to remember that everyone is dealing with a loss with somebody and that we should be there to support one another. But there are moments where, you know, you even having to stay strong, you know, and being told that. And then the finally the release of the emotions at the end when you're in front of a casket like that, right? Like that's okay, you know? And I think that's another, like um, I'm rambling, but I think it's another reminder to people that we all grieve in different ways. Just because you don't see someone crying, just because you don't see, you know, someone being, you know, like you and I complete emotional basket cases, it doesn't mean that they're not, you know, um, feeling all the feels inside. And I think that it's just a reminder of the importance of, of sticking together and remembering how we all show things differently. Um, it's, it's really, it's wild to me. And I, I love this 
this grandfather connection. I had no idea that you were so close to him. Yeah. So, so wonderful. It's so special to, to have that bond. I don't think that there's any bond like that. So I think that that's, that's wonderful. You know, did you ever talk about mental health and stuff like that with your grandpa or did this kind of come afterwards where you were almost triggered um, mentally to, to, for lack of a better words, spiral, you know, spiral down? I think it all really came afterwards. My eating disorders, everyone talked about all the time, not in like a great way because no one knew how to deal with it or the right supportive statements to say. But when I struggled with eating disorders on and off throughout my life, that was something we talked about. But mental health uh, in general or depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, coping with anything, that wasn't something that anyone in my family talked about. It was a very traditional Italian family. My grandparents came over here from Italy. So it was very no emotions. Yeah. Don't talk about emotions. That's weak, vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know a little bit about that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, when your, when your um, uncle spoke to you with about mental health and about, you know, feeling all the feels and whatnot and what you should do and the vitamins and all of that stuff. Did you have any idea before this conversation that he had been struggling? I knew he had gone to like a psychiatrist and he was in therapy, but I didn't know why or what the extent of it was. I just knew that he had gone because my aunt had talked to me about it a few times, but he had never said anything to me. And he didn't seem like the kind of person who would struggle because he seemed like the strongest, most like put together person who could handle anything in the world. So it didn't even like click in my head that he could be someone who struggled with mental health. I didn't think that anyone else struggled in general. I thought I was the only one. And that's the thing. You feel so lonely until you hear other people's conversations. You know, it's like just like us bonding over our grandpas, right? Like that sort of situation is is a perfect example of you don't know what people are going through or how they deal with life and what they feel connected to um, until you open up and you speak about it. So when this all happened to your uncle and then you, you know, were put in the hospital and you realized what was missing per se in, in the mental health hospitals, What was the turning point for you where you were like, okay, I'm going to make a change and I don't know what that change is going to be, but I'm going to do it. How did you kind of, I mean, I know there's so many of us, including myself, where we've been in situations, you know, where we want to change, but we don't know how to make that step forward. So it took a really long time, way longer than it should have. But, But there's no, but I think that's a perfect thing for me to say is like, there is no time limit. You know what I mean? It took me 21 years, 20, 21, 22 years to figure out that I was living with bipolar disorder. And it took me 30 years to then decide to finally talk about it. You know, I don't think that there's any right or wrong time. It's, it's the path that it's meant to be as cheesy as that sounds. (laughs) That's very true. And in the beginning, I don't think I wanted to feel better completely. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to feel better, but inside me, I didn't have that motivation or desire to do something about it so in the beginning I kind of just laid on the floor and cried and screamed Mm -hmm. and I remember one time like I just got so so sick because I couldn't cope with anything or deal with anything and I tried therapy and one therapist told me I shouldn't talk to anyone and I was like 
what? like at all. And I was like, okay, this isn't the therapist for me. And so I gave up on therapy for a little bit. And then my dad grabbed me one day and he was like, let's go for ice cream. And he took me to like a neurofeedback place. And I was what? Like, oh cream. my gosh, that's not ice cream. <laughs> dad. <laughs> not ice cream. <laughs> but he took me and he helped me find a therapist that I was really comfortable with and set me up for neurofeedback therapy. And that really started to help. But in the beginning wow. in therapy, I just cried for the first three sessions and didn't speak. But after daily therapy and daily neurofeedback therapy, I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, I want to get better, but I don't know how. Right. So I tried separating myself from different people in my life. And it took me a really long time to realize the person I felt most attached to at that point was the person whose relationship with myself was the most toxic. It wasn't a healthy relationship. Mm. We were too codependent on each other and it just wasn't a healthy overall situation. So it took me a really long time to get to that point to understand that I needed to be separate from that person. And we were separate, like we were separate for a while for probably like eight months. And then finally started talking again and like going to the movies and just hanging out. And I just started feeling really bad again. Mm. And there was one day I was just laying on my floor, like I had gone back to college, back to my master's. So I was alone again and I was screaming. I didn't want to wow. be here, like screaming, hitting the floor, kicking the floor, did not want to be here. And I, um, tied my hair, cut it off. Fun. And was like, I, I don't want to look like, I don't want to look at that girl in the mirror who's crying and sad oh. and doesn't want to feel this way anymore. I want to see someone else. Oh. So I made that change. I changed my phone number and I was like, I'm disconnecting from everyone and slowly adding people back in who made me feel safe and made me feel supported, who didn't have any mean comments, who didn't make jokes about mental health in a way that made me feel invalidated who just genuinely wanted to be there for me and would call me and check in. I didn't have to call them. And I found that group when I found who I was supposed to be around and who was really important in my life, who made me feel important too. But it was a long process to get there. And the people that you met, I mean, wow. Also, the identity change I am very familiar with. You can tell when I've been going through a breakup or a really hard time based on whatever hair color I have. I've had black to blonde to brown to red. Like I've done it all. And that's kind of the timeline of all of the 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 trauma in my life. Um, so I'm right there with you. I understand. But um, <laughs> the people that you found in your life, that's so wonderful of, of making sure and curating this special, incredible group of people around you that make you feel love and safe and secure and then you can be who you truly are. Now, these people that you found, did you tap back into old friends? Did you find a new community? And if you did find a new community, how does one even begin to find that? So I definitely tapped into like old friends and family members in the beginning. Um, I hopped back into like my best friend from that I grew up with. I've known her since we were four and a half and Aww. we started disconnecting a bit when I was away in college because we just were never in the same town at the same time. Right. And we started FaceTiming every day. Now that I'm back in my hometown, we go to breakfast almost every single day and have coffee or we have movie nights and just we're always together. And I have, um, my parents who I found that they were 
always there for me and always going to be there even if we didn't get along, even if they couldn't get along, they would still come together and force themselves to be in the same room if it was going to help me. And I didn't see that before. So I found the people who had been around me my whole life and I just didn't see how lucky I was to have them. And then I um, found a new community and that was just through you, What? which was so crazy. It was through that like serendipitous event of that FaceTime. And then we went on Clubhouse and you introduced me to Britt and just I started learning a bunch of mental health advocates. And a lot of that was through you. So, oh my God, stop. This is going to be such an emotional episode. Everyone's like, I thought this was a funny show about mental health. And meanwhile, I'm like crying the entire time. Wow, I had no idea that is just, well, that's really sweet. Um, I had no idea. You're amazing. Uh, no, you're amazing. And I, and I, and I felt that way. The, the moment we connected on Instagram, it was just this crazy wild event. Um, and you and I have just had such a great time being on different panels and different, you know, things. And I'm, I'm for me, it took me, like I said, 30 years to find this mental health community. Um, it's very tough for people to find people that I don't even want to say that love you for who you are, but understand you. You know, there's a lot of people that I understand in that community where I'm like, okay, I, I get where you're coming from. You're not my vibe, but I understand. Um, and I'm going to appreciate you for who you are. But there is something that's so magical about meeting someone such as yourself, um, all the other wonderful people that, that you know, I've got to interview, that I've met just throughout these few years now, where you really, really, really understand that we've all been through this and it's not as unique as you think as it, as it is, you know? There was a part of my life where I almost was so, I, I would pride myself on the fact that like, oh, um, suicidal tendencies, I have those. You don't understand if you've never been through there. Almost this like snobbiness and it's like, whoa, girl, take a fucking chill pill. Like that is not something to be bragging about. You know what I mean? But there is something where you feel this, you'll never understand what I'm going through. And then you meet other people who are like-minded that live with mental illness or have family that have, you know, mental health issues. And we've all learned since COVID that we all have mental health issues. And then you realize, wow, we really aren't alone. Um, I would love for everyone to also know, because this is something that you do that that's so unique and special that um, is going to change the world. And you have helped so many people because of this, the things that you do. So you write special encouragement cards and you deliver them to mental health hospitals. I know that we talked about how lonely it is and how you had 10, you know, people that came to visit you and the other people didn't have anyone. It's a very lonely place. I've actually spoken to friends who, you know, have been in, in mental hospitals. I, I've, I've been in for a short period of time to get medication and to get set up privately. I've never had to experience it with other people around me who are ill. Um, in, in, a, in a way, I've, I don't know, maybe I can correct that later. I, I don't know. In a way. Anyways, long story short, um, it's, it's fucking lonely point blank is what I'm trying to get to. It's, it, it's truly, truly unbelievably lonely. Whether you're in a hospital or out of a hospital, living and dealing with your mental health is an extremely lonely situation. How did you come up with the idea of the encouragement cards? 
So I found this other organization that was donating cards to hospitals. Mm. It's called Four Like Minds. And I saw that and I was like, that's really cool. I want to get involved. They didn't need any more volunteers. And I was like, okay, maybe that's something that I'll look into in the future. Mm. And I found myself like one of my coping mechanisms was the color. So I was always coloring and I was like, what if I just made cards and gave them to people inside psych wards who wow. – felt as alone as I did because when I was there, I felt like maybe everyone here understands, but no one in the real world does. Right. When I come out of here, no one around me is going to understand. So if a stranger on the outside has sent me a card letting me know that I wasn't alone and encouraging me that I was going to get through this, that would have meant so much to know someone on the outside also gets it. Have you made connections with people through this from meeting strangers? I have not, not that I know of if anyone has, um, they could have like joined the mailing list or purchased merchandise, but no one has specifically reached out to me because they received a card. So oh I God, don't I know. There's them. so many wonderful people out there. And what's so great too, is that you've been able to share this message about what you do and you've had other people all over the United States get involved with this too and make encouragement cards themselves and deliver it to hospitals in their local area. And I think it's just such a, a simple thing that we would never think of how important it really would be to make someone shine. So I absolutely love that. Um, tell us a little bit about inspiring my generation. Inspiring my generation is my favorite thing to talk about. Yay! <laughs> so, we're a 501c3 dedicated to saving lives through mental health awareness, early symptom detection, and suicide prevention. So we do that by fighting the disparity in awareness and education in support and in treatment accessibility. So there's a five-pronged approach to that. One, mental health awareness, which we use our Normalize a Conversation series to do that. I bring on advocates, professionals, and anyone willing to share their story in hopes that someone listening will find something of value in it, whether it's to know that they're not alone or, you know, I've been going through that too, and while that helped them, maybe this will help me, or, you know, I can't afford treatment, or there's such a long wait to get treatment. Maybe there's something I can do in the meantime. So it's meant to do that. Then through emotional support, so we have our encouragement card program where we donate between 150 and 350 handmade encouragement cards every month. And I've had so many amazing volunteers. Wow. One of my grandma's friends actually makes them every single week and gives me oh 10 my gosh, how cute. Tuesday brunch. She's the cutest thing in the world. Oh my God. And then, and then we have our education series. So that's our workbook. We have our You Are Not Alone, the workbook that's currently published, which is meant to help kids build an emotional coping toolbox. It works for everyone, but there are some exercises inside there that are meant specifically for school-age children. Or we myself. Policy change initiatives. <laughs> I'm a right? school age child. <laughs> I keep burning out and having to buy more for myself. Oh so my I gosh. I love that help. though. I made it as something that I wish I had when I was younger. So it's something that resonates with me so much, probably too much, but I love it. We have our policy change initiative. So right now I'm working with trying to get representatives and congressmen and senators and the governor, Department of Higher Education to create um, more accommodations for. Uh, for college students living with mental illness. So if you think about it, 30% um, of students drop out of college due to mental health. Of all the students who do drop out, 64% um, is mental health related. Wow. You can get accommodations, 100% true. You have to file for disability. 
which means you have to have a severe enough mental illness. Um, in order to do that, though, wow. even if you want to file for disability, if you don't have a diagnosis, sometimes they won't diagnose you below, like under 18. A lot of times parents can't afford to take their kids to therapy. A lot of times parents don't believe in mental health because they weren't raised in a generation that talked about it. And a lot of times people are scared or don't know that they're right. struggling until that point. They finally realize they need help and they're able to get help. Um, the on-campus counseling centers can take up to four weeks to get an appointment and you can only see them so many times in a semester. It's not meant for long-term treatment, which I understand that they don't have enough resources to have enough psychologists on campus to help. But you can't be expecting kids to be able to go off campus to pay and pay for therapy. No. The cost of therapy is so expensive. A lot of college students can't afford a car to, or gas to get there. A no, lot of people I mean, don't have access so to expensive. treatment. Exactly. In 2019, I believe, we lost 1,011 lives to suicide in Florida um, wow. in, in college, in college students. And that made me so angry. Like, there's more we can do. We could easily provide a free telehealth like service to all students. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We pay so much in tuition, you can afford it. Let's make that a thing. Well, absolutely. And so. that's what I was going to say is that there is, there has to be a way that even 0.01% of the tuition would go towards something with mental health. Um, and I, I don't know anything. And I, I, I don't know if you do either. I'm going to have a few people on who specialize in this. But I know that there are, I have a friend that works in one of the divisions at a college, at a university in in regards to, I think it's, oh God, what is it called? But it's with sexual health and it's, you know, when people are, oh my God, like sexually assaulted and stuff, it's a safe space for them to come and, and a trauma center, I don't hold me to it. But my point is there needs to be more of these for mental health. And I know that there are a lot of volunteer facilities with NAMI and a lot of nonprofits that have places out there that are in different universities, but this is something that should be a prerequisite in every university, every junior college, every place that you could possibly put one. Exactly. Even in high schools and middle schools and elementary schools, guidance counselors were originally meant to be like those counselors that were there for you and helped you. But now we're so focused on getting that. I don't know what the word is. I, like you and I are having. We're 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 not there today, but yes. No. Um, but those accreditations, those yeah. accreditations for um, their school, so that they can get more money. So now those guidance counselors have become academic advisors, right. and they're helping students to get ahead in school to do well which is really important, 100% agree, but there also should be that traditional guidance counselor who's there for you, who supports you, who can help you because at some point in our lives, we're going to lose a loved one. Mm -hmm. We are going to have to navigate, or potentially we'll have to navigate divorced parents or even divorced aunts or uncles or friends are having parents who are getting divorced. We're going to run into something with divorce. Our hormones are going to change. Right. Our lifestyle is going to change from when we get, we're super active when we're younger and we tend to get less and less active as we get older. And that changes your body, your mental makeup. All of it's constantly changing and you need support. And we just are so quick to not offer it. Well, we're exactly. So and now, especially with COVID, right, in lockdowns and colleges, I mean, one of my cousins, he couldn't even have a proper graduation. 
he from college. Mm -hmm. You know, he just yeah. all of a sudden graduated and sudden, you know, started the workforce, you know, and a lot of them haven't been able to go back to school. Like everything has been at home and that's tough on social life and going back to that childlike mentality. You know, it's interesting um, two of my cousins, uh, who male cousins, I had asked them about the college that they went to if there was a mental health facility or an outreach program because I had heard of it. And they said, oh, yeah, there's a small little guidance counselor type of mental health facility, but guys don't really go there. You know, and I said, what do you mean? And I'm, see, I'm like, they're cool cousins. So we like talk mental health and they think it's, they now, from what I can tell, I could be totally wrong, but now I think that they think that mental health is really cool, right? Because they've heard the podcast, they've seen, I've had celebrities on and they're like, oh, okay, cool. Like everyone talks about this, this shit's real. Um, but they said, you know, most men won't go into this facility because even being seen going through the door is like, oh, well, that one, he's fucking crazy or he's weak or what's his problem or what happened to him, right? There's always fingers that are pointed in the situation. And so they were telling me that it's kind of embarrassing to go in there. You don't want to. So how do we change that narrative? How do we make it a cool place to hang out? How do we make it like a coffee shop? How do we make it where other people are not going to judge you for something that happened to you or something that, that you may have happened to be a part of? Whatever it may be, right? How do you stop that judgment? I don't know, but I think the best thing that we could possibly be doing, my generation is having the conversation. Your generation is asking you what you think we should be doing. And you just speaking your truth and getting to the younger generations because that's how it's got to keep going. The conversation can't go away. Exactly. And these next generation, my generation, we're growing up in a world where mental health is talked about where it's kind of normalized on social media. There's so many accounts. The mental health community is so big and so amazing. Even on TikTok, there's a lot of TikToks about mental health. And it's just something that's become so normalized in a way. It's right. not completely normalized. There's a huge stigma. But my generation's acknowledging mental health. Yeah. And that's not something that happened at a young age before. So we can see that it's a positive trend. And I hope it continues. It's a very positive trend. Here's something that I'm going to ask you because you're hip of that generation. Um, do you find, though, that people use it as a hashtag or as a keyword because it is so popular and talked about? Is there anything where you feel like almost a frustration like, God, why can't you take this seriously? This isn't something that should be a dance TikTok move, you know? Do you ever feel that? Or am I just old and really judgy and really just old and mad about it <laughs> part of me gets really excited that people are having that conversation and talking about right, it whether course. or not it's authentic so part of me is just kind of happy that people are talking about right. it but i do call people like i call my best friend and i scream because i'm like this person has never talked about mental health ever this person has never been open about what they're struggling with or what they're dealing with but mental health awareness month and suicide prevention month suddenly they um talked about it right before like something big was happening and they wanted that attention towards them or they had this post that they care and then afterwards they're back to like being very rude to people on social media or just in general not providing that support yeah and when you see it's it hip. it's so frustrating yes and that's how I feel I'm like I literally want to shake the shit out of people that use it as a hashtag 
I wouldn't really do it, but that's how I feel. Cause I'm just like, oh my God. Especially when I see like a makeup brand, right? Is, is doing the face of mental health awareness week, right? Or mental health awareness month. And then the influencers that they choose are literally these people, like whatever their occupation may be. And I may know them personally or may hear of them. And they're just awful human being and they beings that don't continue the conversation about mental health. And that's when it gets so frustrating. Well, I wanted to know that I was not alone on that one. Um, so I really appreciate, I really appreciate that. Um, I would love to speak on also, as we are saying, we are not alone. You and I did a limited collaboration. Maybe what we should do is maybe we could try to bring it back for like two weeks as a special drop into this episode um, to make them available. Um, I have to, I, I have like five left in my garage, uh, but maybe we could have a few made um, just for this episode. But it was really fun. You and I have talked about for so long. You have an incredible um, merch catalog of all sorts of fun things that pun intended are inspiring, right? Inspiring my generation. And you have sweatshirts that say you are loved, like just little things that are just little reminders. But every time I wear one of your sweatshirts or your shirts or, you know, a notepad, I always without a doubt will get a comment of, oh my God, thank you. I needed to hear that. Or how are you really, right? That's the question I always ask people because we want to know, wait, no, how are you really though? Not just how are you, how are you really? So it's these little things that you put on to merch and I wear it every day and you wear it every day. And we thought, you know what? We need to come together. We need to do something for emotional support. We need to do something for inspiring my generation. And we wanted to raise awareness for suicide prevention. Um, And I am so happy to say that we raised so much money for suicide prevention awareness. It was unbelievable. Um, and our sweatshirts were pretty damn cute too. Um, they got a lot of press. So, um, but we absolutely love them. And, you know, green is the color of mental health. Um, people were like, why would you choose a green heart? I'm like, oh God, here I go. Why do I have to over explain everything? Um, but it just simply says we are not alone. Because we aren't. And, you know, you've gone through hard times. I've gone through hard times. And we've created this community, right? We've curated this community. And I've had a lot of people that came up to me when I wear this sweatshirt, which I wear way too often, and so does my mom. Um, and, you know, they, they, they'll come up to me and they'll just be simple. And they'll whisper and they'll go, thanks, I really needed to hear that. Or, yeah, or not, you know, little things here and there. And I'm just like, wow, you know. You really don't, you, you don't think someone's reading your sweatshirt, right? You wouldn't think that. But yeah. people are hyper aware of things, you know, they really are. And mm. if there's some, you know, if someone will say to me, oh, where did you get that? And I'll say, oh, well, my friend Francesca and I, um, you know, we designed this for mental health awareness to bring awareness to suicide. And, you know, oh, my God, that's so cool. It's the link. It's so simple. Um, so that's my little merch plug. So I just wanted to say thank you so much, Francesca, for helping with this. Um, I, I, it really meant a lot to me. It was my first collection and it was just what a way to kick off and bring awareness and bring money um to such a great cause and i don't know maybe we'll do a special drop and and maybe we'll put this out for the week of of your podcast and see what happens um okay i have a few questions for you and this is very new to me i even wrote them down because i i'm it's kind of like a speed round okay what is your activity of happiness um 
I really, really like to color. Like I love to make cards. I think it's because when I'm making them, I put these positive messages on them that I need to hear. So definitely that. Oh, I love that. I love that. And everyone needs to get your your journal. It's not just for children. Okay. The activity book. Um, okay. Let's see. What tools do you use for support? Um, I use my journal a lot. I like to sit down and write exactly what I'm feeling, but I do it really early in the morning when I first wake up. So if I'm waking Ooh. up at 6.15... It's the first thing I do before I have a cup of coffee, before I even completely get out of bed, before I walk my dog, before I check my phone. It's those initial thoughts where I'm not even awake. And I learned so much about myself. Because you're kind of still in a dream. You're in a dream state still. Exactly. And it's like pure, like raw thoughts. So sometimes I'm like, whoa, I didn't know I was upset about that. And then breath work is amazing. We need to talk about, have you done a course yet on breath work? So I, um, cause have I haven't, and I feel like we should do this. We should do this. I have a breathwork coach. who's the most amazing like woman in the world. Lauren Serafan. It's her thing is just effing breathe.com. The word is spelled out, but I'm not going to say it. And <laughs> I'll say it. Just fucking breathe. <laughs> and she is everything and more. So sweet. So supportive. We actually built a friendship out of it and she checks in on me constantly and is always there for breathwork. Amazing. I love it. Oh my God. Okay. Well, we are going to check that out. Okay. What makes you celebrate your mental health? Not today, but every day. Um, I think the idea of being so happy, like with how far I've come makes me want to celebrate all of it, all the bad, all the good. Even if I'm having like a mental breakdown day where I'm just completely distraught and nothing's going to go right for me. Just celebrating how I recognize that now. Like I recognize when I'm having a bad day and how I'm behaving and how I'm acting and that I need support and that I can reach out to people. And that makes me celebrate that I wasn't that person for a very long time. I haven't been that person until recently and, and I still have the dark days, but, um, but it's true. It's all about celebrating just the little monumental things. I said in another episode that, you know, you have to hold yourself accountable, right. And like do one thing a day. Um, even if it's as simple as like, you have to walk the dogs around the block twice, you know, and celebrate like, wow, today I was healthy enough to hold myself accountable and be able to get through this. Um, Or, you know, today I didn't have a manic outburst or just just whatever it may be, big or small, I think it's about finding the celebrations. Okay, I am gonna gonna answer. I'm not answering, I'm gonna ask you. I always answer this. I am going to ask you the final question. Francesca, what is your emotional support? My puppy Tiffany is 120% my emotional support. When I'm crying, this dog comes up to me and licks my tears away. There is nothing more amazing than your dog recognizing you need support and being there for you. She is everything and more. So my dog is my emotional support and my grandmother because I'm I'm staying at a condo right now with her and every single day she just comes up to me and gives me a big hug. She's like, you know, I'm always here for you. Oh I'll always love you. Stop. And I just, it seems so annoying sometimes. Like sometimes I'm like, okay, like I know. But there's some days when I'm like, wow, I really needed to hear that. And I get to hear that every single day. 
So I think that's also part of my emotional support. I think that that's so amazing. I'm not going to cry again. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's, it's so true. I think that you have to really appreciate life and appreciate those moments because, you know, even though both of my grandparents passed, like I was so close to my grandmother as well, you know, and I can still smell her and I still speak to her all the time. And people probably think I'm like a Looney Tune talking out loud all the time to her, but it's keeping those conversations and just knowing that, um, knowing that there is that emotional support for you, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's tough because, um, oh my God, I'm trying to keep myself together. It's tough because I never got to be aware of what my mental health stage was in my life when my grandparents were alive and when they were around. Um, but but I always knew that no matter how hard it was for me, right? Like no matter the journey was, and they knew that I was going through something and obviously they could not pinpoint, oh, she's bipolar, you know, there wasn't that, but it always was a safety net that whenever I needed to feel warm and gushy inside, that was the conversation and the phone call that I would make, right? So I'm crying right now. I apologize, everyone, but it's, but it's true because- you know, you take that for, for granted. So I just, and someone saying who, who does not have that anymore, uh, love every moment of that because to have family that really appreciates you for who you are emotionally, um, and spiritually, and just who you are as a being, you are doing so much for this world, Francesca, I can't tell you, and you are changing lives. Francesca, I love you so much. I am just so moved by you and Whoever in this universe brought us together, I can't thank them enough. Um, how can we all find you and follow along and write encouragement cards? What's the next step? First of all, I absolutely love and adore you. And thank you so much for having me. And you can follow us on Instagram at Inspiring My Generation or go to our website, www.inspiringmygeneration.org. And if you go to our initiatives, you will find everything and ways you can get involved. I'm so excited. Well, I love you so much and I'm ready. Uh, we'll do a, a drop on the sweatshirts for one week only um, when it comes out. So I'm so excited. Yeah.